Welcome to Noble Warriors. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build a purpose-driven company. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can create your purpose-driven company. My next guest is the author of the book, Monday Again on Amazon. He's the owner of Mary Noble Wellness Consulting Agency to empower his people to be physically harmonious, mentally sharp, and emotionally vibrant. Please welcome Marquez Martins Hayes. Welcome hey, hey. to the show. Please. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. So we had talked a little bit up about earlier, how do we actually engage in this conversation? This yeah. is one may say chaotic times, yeah. one may say awakening moments. Yes. We have recently just gone through, we're still going through COVID-19. Right, where people are staying at home for two months plus, social distancing, the economy is down. Yep. And now George Floyd, Amy Cooper really brought a into foreground yep. the struggles of uh, systematic police brutality, black people as a whole, yep. right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different layers here. Yes. And I was sharing with you in private, it feels a little bit risky to have a public dialogue. But in my mind, part of being a noble warrior is to grapple what it means to be a human being, what it means yeah. to be a man, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be an entrepreneur. So I'd rather have a public conversation. And this is nothing more than a conversation. Yes. So yeah. We had said earlier that it's not gonna be us giving advice to the national, the international policy yeah. making. Yeah. It's really just two men here yeah. inquire what it means to do that at this time. So Thank my you. opening question for you, my friend, is if you could share with us a little bit about what it means to grow up in America being a black man. Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. Great question. So there are many layers to that, right? So I'll start with this. I know, but I'll start with this for the sake of the audience. I can only tell you what it's like going up in America being Marquis Martin Hayes. Really. And I say that because even in my own home, meaning where I was raised, my brother had an experience extremely different from the experience that I had. So each individual, how it occurs for them, it kind of varies. But from my perspective, that every black person in America has some level of PTSD. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Anytime you have to consciously look over your shoulder, get nervous if an officer comes around, wonder if you will stand up against someone who's non-black when looking for a job. Wonder if you'll have an opportunity simply because of the color of your skin. It's a real challenge. It's a real, 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 real challenge. Is there any specific incident that you can perhaps take us through if it's not too personal? So in, in this moment, I don't have anything immediate, but I, I will look, I will look. Because what was coming to mind was the idea that when you live your life and you look through as much as possible, unquote, the positive lens, you attempt to take everything that may actually be that and make it work for you versus against you, if that makes sense. And that's why I don't have an immediate reference because I usually wear those lenses. And, and sometimes as a result of that, I'm not fully able to see what just happened. I, I, I attempt to dial it down and look at, as it, look at it as this just being a person as compared to being me, if that makes sense. It does. That's actually one of the reasons why I appreciate your voice, your public voice so much, because I would say in a traumatic experience such as George Floyd, you know, right? I actually haven't watched the video myself. I, how do I articulate it? I know it's a sad event. I don't want it to yeah. let it impact me. I know what happened but I didn't want to know the nitty gritty details of yeah. his, this person's pain in the last moments of his life. But bring it back to you. Could you tell us a little bit more about the highlights of being black and also the lowlights of being black, if there are yeah. any kind of specific highlights or lowlights? Yeah. So, so one of the highlights of being black is anytime athletics comes up, anytime performance comes up and one way more subtle, that's missed is simply because I was a military brat. So I'll 
I had the opportunity of living in Germany. I've had the opportunity of living across Washington State and a little bit of North Carolina and over around Michigan. Because I had that vast experience where I'm interacting with different cultures, different speech patterns and things of that nature. One of the highlights is because I comfortably articulate myself, I'm sometimes awarded respect as a result of that. So it is a highlight, although it it has an underlying sadness to it, but it's a highlight because I don't necessarily speak with slang, at least when I'm in a public sector or interacting. I know how to, as we call it, the low light code switch. And what I mean by code switch is, unfortunately, I don't get to be me at all times. Now, I've done a better job as an individual because I've tried to round myself intentionally around that. But the conversation I have with my son will be different than the conversation I have with you. So one of the challenges is knowing when to do that and being comfortable in your own skin without feeling like you have to compromise or become someone else. I'm not talking about the difference between whether or not I should use profanity in this conversation. I'm talking about the difference between, okay, what word is going to be the best word so I'm not looked down upon? Or do I stay quiet because the conversation is above me? So it's sort of, it's things like that. But let me give you another low light. I have a low light now. So growing up in Seattle, Washington State, this is a, a plus, but I'll give you the other side. I remember I was probably 16, 17 years old with a, a buddy who's a little bit older than me. We're riding around in this truck and we're playing. That's at the time you had big speaker subwoofers in the back and you're letting it rock. And so we take a nice drive from Tacoma to Seattle. We're in downtown Seattle. We're having a great, great drive. Evening time. Sound is bouncing off of buildings. It just sounds cool. I'm a teenager. I'm like, yeah, we're riding. So we get pulled over. And the officer says, noise violation. You're too loud. Let me see your registration. Now, okay, no problem. Let me go on the glove box, get the registration. I go on the glove box to get the registration. There's a gun. Now, I didn't know there was a gun in the glove box. But... I trusted this guy and he was pretty cool. Fortunately, well, there's a gun. Officer sees the gun on both sides of the car. Guns are drawn to our head, period. I'm nervous as ever because I don't even know. In fact, I told my mom this the other day. She didn't even know I was gone that day and that I took this ride or that this incident ever happened. But let me tell you what happened next. Because he had a legal firearm with paperwork, the officer said, Take your time. Show us the paperwork. He showed the paperwork. Guns went away. They said, man, turn the music down. But next time, if you have a firearm in a vehicle, tell us before we come up so we don't have to panic. I was fortunate. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the low light. My brother, who was stopped by an officer in South Carolina, that particular officer was out for a noise violation. Except not my brother. Actually, I, I take that back. He was out for a violation. There was a Caucasian male who was apparently showing himself to children has a white himself to children showing revealing himself to children oh i see whatever the proper term is my brother gets home in his military uniform and the officer pulls him over he's like officer what's the problem he says i received a noise violation which is not actually accurate according to the records long story short my brother was beat up, abused. His wife, then wife at that time came out and she was beat up, abused and handcuffed as well. All the evidence in the phone, taken away everything mm. for a noise violation. So the other low light behind that is, so this is why I say it. I can only really speak from Marquise's perspective because remember, I'm the kid who tries to look through the positive lens, keep my nose clean, so to speak, as I was raised to think and believe. I had my incident with the officers in Seattle Thankfully, that went well. Mm -hmm. My brother had his incident. But here's what happened. My brother called me. I don't even remember when, how soon after. But I can tell you this. It took me, and this is a low light, probably two or three years before I actually believed it was even a real thing and that he didn't actually cause it himself. Mm -hmm. Now, I share that to say that's low because I didn't even believe my own family mm -hmm. because I was so blinded by what happens in America that I thought my brother definitely did something to cause that to happen. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Here's the interesting thing about that situation. 
we cried and talked because I had to apologize. I didn't realize how blinded I was. But what made me open my eyes is that the same officer that assaulted him and his wife at the time is the same officer, I don't know, maybe five years ago in South Carolina. He took an African-American girl. She, he, was in, he was assigned to school duty. He took an African-American girl. He snatched her out of her desk and body slammed her. And that was on video and on the news. It's the exact same officer. It broke me because I realized I'm living in a fantasy. I've tried to avoid the realities that many people have experienced by, unquote, keeping my nose clean. But I just happen to be in more fortunate circumstances than they. But the reality is my own very baby brother was abused and assaulted by the police. And that's a low light because I didn't even believe him. Yeah. For several years. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that very personal moment, uh, a low light in your life. It's not easy to do that publicly. So I appreciate it so much. How do I even engage in this conversation? I think a lot of times when things like this happen, they go to some famous black person and ask for the black perspective or some something happened to a female woman and then they go to some famous woman for a woman perspective. Correct. I think that's as if a single human perspective encompasses homogeneously the entire right. black voices. Like right. In reality, America is not a single voice. It's not a single right. ideal. It's polymorphic. Everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has, yeah. has a different experience. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, when a trauma happens, to yeah. point finger and blame and yeah. get angry and resent yeah. what's yeah. transpired. Yes. At the same time, also, how do we look at what transpire from a place of learning and lessons yeah right how do we learn from this was there a pivotal moment in your life where you made a decision to say i'm gonna look at things from a positive light versus from a victim perspective yeah what's so interesting i'm so glad you asked that no one's ever asked that in this way where it's triggering something else for me so one thing we know ck based on science is that racism is taught right mm -hmm. So in the same light, I was raised in an environment where my father spent a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time. I was an Amway baby. And to describe what that means is personal development was a normal part of my life. So at 12 and 13 years old, I was reading Edwin Lewis C. Cole books. I was reading some Napoleon Hill books. I was reading Think and Grow, How to Think and Grow Rich. I was reading Personality Plus and things of that nature. In fact, my favorite story to tell people is that my father wouldn't play the car radio. No, he'd always put in a tape where someone's telling their story about how they overcame. Now, I got to mm -hmm. be honest, that's a really great story. But the average person, the average person, black, white, whatever you want to call it, doesn't have that exposure. That's the top 5% who do that, right? What is it? Only 5% of the, I think the current stat is only 5% of the people will read a self-help book this year. So I happened to have the beauty and the luxury of a father who was in a system of learning that he constantly poured into us and forced us to do things we did not want to do. Not once did I want to pick up one of those books. Not once did I want to write a one-page report. Not once. However, that discipline that my father pushed into me has afforded me more of the highlights because I end up showing up not as an intelligent Black man, but as a man who's simply intelligent and a, with a broader perspective of what's possible than the average person, not because I'm better, but I was part of my education was in that 5% bracket of, no, you're going to learn. You're going to understand. You're going to dream. You're going to believe. You're going to have a sense that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, Dexter Yeager said it best. If the dream is big enough, the facts don't count. So the fact that I was black, I was raised, cultivated, cultured to not let it be a thing, even though at times it absolutely was. Before I get into the part where you're a father and then how are you passing on that idea to your kids? Mm -hmm. 
I want to ask you in those micro moments where it may feel like, hey, I wasn't hired for this acting gig because mm -hmm. I'm X, Y, and Z, Black, American, yeah. African American, or whatever, yeah. right? In those micro moments where there are setbacks, how do you not give in to cynicism and pessimism and say, yeah. shit, I didn't get the gig because yeah. I'm Black or yeah. versus, yeah. You know, let me focus on the lessons. How can I be better yeah. such that I will be higher next time? Yeah. So this is a great question. And it can also answer your question earlier about a low moment. I had one probably five years ago where I realized, so as an actor, one of the things that I always see and I look for now because I understand my skin is different is I always look to see what companies show a multicultural representation. Always. Mm -hmm. I look to see what companies not only do that, but also include a black male. And they're very few. Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So I understand that sometimes when I show up in the room, that might be the component. I may not be a match for what else is in the room. The good news is I also have the experiences where I have. And there's a national, couple of national commercials out now. So I'm thankful for that. But the low moment that, that was personal for me where I realized that, that, was, that I broke down. I just finished a training program, a very, very, very intense training program. It was six months long several a uh, couple meetings a week lots of internal work lots of personal things and so i was so excited so excited that graduation was coming up and i was so excited that some new marketing materials were about to come out it's like oh man this is just great what what are we going to do what will we look like we talk about what we do we've had seminars around it we've had racial seminars and inclusion seminars i've been a part of I, they were phenomenal phenomenal some of the top leaders in the company, phenomenal men of color. They had women of color who were also powerful. And on the day of graduation, the brochures came out and CK, I looked, I looked and I looked and I looked and, and I, inside I started mourning because I, I, I might've saw a male brown hand but I saw every other representation there. And when they got to me, just the irony of the moment, they wanted to know, so what'd you get out of the class? what did you get out of this training? How's your life been transformed? I don't know if I screamed, I yelled, I just started crying, mourning. I was so angry, I was so hurt, I was so broken. Like, how could you be so careless with the voice you say you are in the world how could you be so careless? And that was a really, really deep, aggravating, agonizing moment for me that I'll never forget. I'm not scorned by it, but it makes me be that much more intentional. Who's actually intentional? Because what it appears to be when it's not there, they're not our target market. They don't exist. They wouldn't buy it anyway. So... Mm dehumanizing. Mm. Mm. I remember that moment and it was rough. Okay. So how do you not let those moments push you to resignation and cynicism and pessimism? Yeah. Because yeah. As, as I mentioned earlier, especially the, doing these micro trauma or mm -hmm. major trauma moments, yes. it's easy to just say, screw all of this, right. whatever this thing, activity, right. people, community, I'm just going to be resigned because the yes. world is this way. I'm going to be essentially a victim and be yeah. the effect of the world. So I'm glad that you 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 asked that. And and so it's, it's really simple. All that learning growing up, my daily incantations, the second item that's on my daily incantation is I am the one. I am the one. So if I'm the one that's going to break through, I will be that one. If I'm the one that's going to bridge the gap, between what you thought a black man was and who I am, then I'm going to be that one. Do I get tired? Yeah, sometimes I don't want to be the one to say hi. But it just so happened I was raised on Mr. Rogers and I believe in the neighborhood and the community. So it's things like that along the way that have just nurtured my spirit that has just helped me not quit. I had that breakdown and I still communicate with the team there. Why? Because I realize it's a microcosm. It's a whole system at play. I can rationalize and think that through, although it still hurts. I can think it through and decide I'm going to be that one 
I'm going to be that one. And I tell myself every day. Now, I don't think down to the scale of I'm going to be the black man who does that. That's not what I focus on. I just focus on if there's something that's missing or something that needs to be done, I don't need to look to someone else. I'm the one. Even if I'm the one that's referring the resource to get it done properly, I'm the one. And so it is the reiteration and the dedication, in my opinion, to those types of habits that have helped me get up, man. Let's go. Let's let's go. You might be down a day. You might be down two days. You, you might be down a week. But the bottom line is there's still a burning passion. There's still a burning belief. And in, in my religion days growing up, the older people would say simple things like, I'm just glad I woke up this morning. I'm just glad there's food on my table. And when I was young, CK, I, I didn't understand. I just kind of thought, that's great. But I mean, how about a steak or whatever I thought was important at that time? Now that I'm a little bit older, man, that simple gratitude means the world to me. The fact that I woke up today means there is an opportunity for me again to be the one. Means there's an opportunity again for me to impact someone else. Means there's an opportunity again for me to be a better father. Or whatever that looks like, the fact that I woke up, I understand and can harness the energy of the possibility simply because I'm breathing. And I don't say that lightly. I mean it the same way those older men and women would say it, and I didn't understand. Now I do. Let me set up a context to ask the follow-up question, sure. Pam. I think the atomic unit of a belief that you have mm-hmm. is I am someone of value. I am yes. the one. Yes. Right. When yes. you don't have that, then it's woe is me. I'm at yes. the effect of I'm worthless. Yes. yes. You know, what's the point of living and all yes. of that? So I would say the atomic unit of how you're showing up. As mm-hmm. if that seed of positivity is yeah. that belief that I yeah. am of value. Yes. yes. So let me ask you this. What did you get that idea? Was it through religion? Was it through uh, years of listening to personal development tapes? Was it the words of your father and mother who bestow on that belief in you? How did you find that belief? How did you find that source of courage? to stand up in spite of all the setbacks? That's a great question because the truth is I didn't grow up believing it. It was around me. I didn't believe it. At some point I realized in my religious community, in my personal development community, people would always say, you really got something or I really believe in you or they they would always have affirmations. But what I noticed was there was a disconnect between what they said and what I believed. I didn't believe that about me. So it was probably somewhere in my 20s, early 30s when I, it clicked that it wasn't just synchronicity, that it wasn't just a happenstance, that I have opportunities. And what happened? What, what was the specific thing that happened? I broke away from religion mm-hmm. because I, for me, the world was bigger and broader. The mm-hmm. life was happening where I was in an existence of, as a matter of fact, I do recall it was near my divorce. It was around the time I was getting divorced. Mm-hmm. I woke up at around 31 mm-hmm. years of age and I realized I'm not happy, but it's not because of mm-hmm. anyone else around me. It's not because of anything else happening. That was the moment. That was the moment. I said, it's because I'm not choosing to be. I'm not choosing Mm. to believe in myself. I'm not choosing to bake on it. I'm not choosing decisions that would lead me in that direction. It began there. It truly began there. And into my 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, it began to build. There There was a crescendoing. And then in my late 30s, 40, 41, and I got laid off from corporate, it hit me. And I said, for the rest of my life, I'm a bet on me. Mm. Period. Mm. I'm a bet on me. Not because anyone did me wrong. Mm. I realized that I, at 31, have a choice. And instead of hoping, praying, believing that someone else is going to do it for me, faith looks like actually getting out and doing it for myself, not mm. letting up, being resilient. 
in spite of the challenges, taking the knowledge that I learned, the books that I hear about, the stories that I'd heard, and now applying them to my life. Mm. Not just great ideas, not they made it, but, mm. oh, okay, so you want to be an actor. Oh, okay, well, you haven't had to live out of your car. Mm. So and so that person did, and they made it. It's mm. like, oh, so my situation isn't that bad. No pity party. Let's go. Next move. So I begin to use, I don't typically like to compare, but I began to use the lives of others who had learned to be successful and look at what they had to go through, then compare it to mine and ask mm -hmm. myself, am I at that state yet? If the answer is no, then there's zero excuse. And if I was at that state, the answer was still, so you're going to quit because of that? And I decided, no, I'm not. And so I surrendered the whole concept of quitting. It just was not an option. I, even in the, and I'm using acting because that's the one that comes to mind right now. Mm -hmm. I remember telling my children, if I die practicing the same monologue and having never made it big because I believed in what I was up to, know that I was happy. Mm -hmm. Know that I was happy. And personal responsibility around how I feel internally. What's the saying? Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% attitude. Mm. I knew I could be responsible for the 90% attitude. And so I've embraced that idea. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. So a quick recap on what I heard. You don't necessarily like to compare yourself with others, but you use uh, biographical information or life of those that you admire and look yeah. at the challenges that they had to overcome yes. as a way to inspire you to yeah. overcome your own challenges. Is that yeah. accurate? That is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Only for the use of good, not for the use of, I can't, woe is me. That's that's just not, it's not. CK, my father used to tell me this growing up. He'd say real simple. The words, I can't together are not allowed in my house. Mm. And. Yeah. They're not true. That's beautiful. I, 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 I love that so much. So. How do you then teach that to mm -hmm. your children, right? Yeah. Haven't again, right? They have to go through their own journey as well. Absolutely. You Absolutely. didn't learn it until when you were in your thirties, in yeah. spite of people giving you that affirmation externally, mm -hmm. like, Hey, you can do this. You got yeah. something right. Yes. But you didn't, I didn't click until you, you were in your thirties. So. As a father, as a space holder, as a parent, as a guardian of these young spirits, how are you cultivating that belief in them? Because again, this is my deep belief yeah. at the source of everything. If you believe that you are someone of contribution and value, yes. that is the beginning of whatever great things you want to do in your life. Yeah. But if you don't have that, if you believe that you're worthless, Yep. No amount of external success, trophies, money in the bank, accolades is going to make up for the void that you have within yourself. Right. right. So the source of a truly successful and fulfilled life in my mind is that core belief. So yes, are you helping your kids to believe that? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that because I'm in a very interesting time right now. So my son growing up, He's 26 now doing some amazing, like amazing things. I, I'm, I'm jealous of his life. It's, it's funny. But I remember when he was growing up, I, I would always tell him, son, you're a leader. I didn't know exactly what to do, but I, son, you're a leader. And so I'd whisper it to him when he was on his way to sleep. And I would, whenever opportunities arose where it confirmed or looked like, pardon me, leadership, I would affirm him and say, hey, you're a leader. I mean, this is an example. And then, I, and then when I needed to use it, to also nurture the idea of, in my mind at least, of things I didn't want him to be a part of, I'd explain the reason why not. It's because you're a leader. And if you went and did those things, that doesn't that doesn't move things forward positively. But I remember when he was 12 or 13 years old, I was talking to him. He says, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. Why are you always telling me this? Why are you burdening me with this responsibility I didn't want in the first place? Yeah, yeah. I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And now at 26, he's a professional DJ. He's a professional coder. He has two degrees in uh, finance and econ. He's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He's doing all these amazing things. People want him on his podcast all the time. He's read 
The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill and took notes all the way through. I mean, he's reading more now than he did in college. And so that worked out well. Then there's my second daughter, Zion. We're allowed to like our birthdays are about 10 days apart. And uh, it just wasn't as difficult. It wasn't as difficult to really nurture that. She just kind of, it took a while, but she began to develop it kind of through watching me more than me having her do the same thing. So stepping one step back, when my son got in trouble as a teenager, I would, the discipline for him had moved towards, I'm going to make you read a book by someone you respect around the concept or a principle you broke so that it maybe their words can help you build. So that was how I nurtured and built that in with him. My middle mm-hmm. daughter, it was a little, it, it didn't require that as much. And she was so active. And then I was active as well with other things that it wasn't as systematic. The approach was a little bit different. And, but when I talked to her about things, she'd go, I know dad, I watch you. And I was just kind of like, wait, does she actually get that principle from watching me? Or is she just trying to smooch me over? But that happens. Play so kidding. Yeah. yeah. And then I see her excel at something or not let go of something. I'm like, oh, she did get it. She got it from watching me. So it's like, okay, well, great. So I had this, so I shifted, you know, to her because I understood they're all uniquely different. And then there's my last one, who's amazing, amazing. She's 14 now. Me yeah. trying to force her to read, it's not working, CK. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. I failed now. No, we're working. I'm learning what works for her because the things that work for the other two, they don't work for her, man. And she's brilliant. Like she's been a straight A student six years in a row. She's an artist. She's a dancer. She can sing. She has so many skills and talents. It's literally, we all think she could potentially run a small country someday. Like literally, no exaggeration. Mm -hmm. But how I'm nurturing her is still a work in progress. I haven't figured it out. Mm. I haven't figured it out. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but it's something that I, I, I think about because I have a lot of uh, friends who are parents and then yeah. they share with me their what they're doing uh, yeah. as a way to not repeat what their parents did or yeah, right. reinforce what their parents did, right? Mm-hmm. So I so appreciate this conversation. Yeah. So, one, so one of the things that, that comes to mind, and this is a little bit forward-looking, this is a, as, a, as a suggestion, as an idea. Yes is how are you enabling her to get more satisfaction out of the thing that you want her to do potentially? Yeah. So, so whether, mm-hmm. Go ahead. whether it be the task itself, because some people get deep satisfaction from learning the monologue or whatever the task right. is. Right. And, and some people actually get it the deep satisfaction from how this work is going to benefit others. Yes. Potentially, I don't know if you can articulate what she's interested in, who she wants to serve, and the kind of satisfaction she wants to create. Maybe that could be motivating her. So some of that's still coming together. I I love that you brought that up. Some of it's still coming together and trying to understand what that looks like. So she's talking, she loves color, right? And so she loves how color helps heal and how color plays into that. But she also enjoys coding. So she's thinking she should get an, this this is her thoughts. She thinks she should get an engineering degree while also an Mm -hmm. art degree so she can merge the two together so she can help people heal. Mm -hmm. I have not built the bridge between what I want her to do and what she wants to do to get her to read or take these particular actions. I'm still dancing with her and learning her. I was talking to her mother yesterday and she said, she's uniquely different. You've always admired her for having her own voice. And now she's having her own voice and we're just gonna have to keep finding angles until we find the one that works best for her. And then Mm -hmm. she said, and she's 14 living in COVID stay home orders. Can't see friends just graduated eighth grade. Couldn't close it properly, getting properly, getting ready to go to a new school. And I just kind of said, okay, I'll follow your lead. So it's a dance. We're still figuring that out, CK. That big dream, that thing that drives her. I know she loves color and, and engineering and, and helping that, but I'm still uncovering it, still figuring out what's her ticker for that to move to the next level. Well, I wish you success, my friend. Thank you, man. I need it. 
I'm in the middle of it. I don't know if you ever read the book Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. There's a difference between forcing someone, forcing an outcome based on your authority and and your voice or your knowledge or whatever it is versus this inner power from within. Yes. And it resonates from within outwards. As your second daughter said, hey, dad, it wasn't because you made me do something. You know, I simply watch you do and say uh, the best version of yourself. Right. right. So, right. so, you know, and then there's a balance in there somewhere. There is certainly a time, a place for force. There's a time and place for power. So, yeah, I think I'll write that down. Too. I'm more interested in power. I grew up mm. with force and I realized there are better ways and better technologies that I hadn't been exposed to that some of which I've been able to adapt and implement mm. in my children's lives. So, and I talked mm. to my dad about it all the time. We were talking the other day, he had in, in different ideas. And so I'm learning, I'm learning, uh, but I look mm. forward to that. So thank you for that resource. No, you're very welcome. So bringing back to the topics of our time, mm-hmm. coronavirus, police brutality, yes. as a parent, tactically, how are you having these, I would say, challenging conversations, but yeah. very meaningful conversations of this time? Yes. And in it, as a way to help guide your children yeah. uh, you know, at, at a pivotal time of their life. Yeah, you. I love it. You're asking phenomenal questions, ones that I'm still dancing with as they're happening. Here's the deal. Here's a low light. As a father of black daughters, it is a real thing when you're already talking about women and girls who are developing their psyche. Am I pretty enough? Am I beautiful enough? Am I good enough? Right. So I have I have that already happening. And then you throw in that they're black or African-American and or Canadian-American, technically. And I'm having to have those conversations, right? I'm having to have those conversations about, for example, my 19-year-old who was when she was in high school. She was attracted to a particular Caucasian guy and he liked her as well. It was pretty evident. And then two weeks later, he vanishes or ghosts, as they calls it, as they call it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what happened. She didn't tell me. Here's how I found out. She then went to the counselor's office because she was so traumatized by it and wanted to know, what happened she didn't feel comfortable enough to come to me or her mom but she went to her counselor and the counselor said to her well i've seen it before he's just basically not comfortable in his own skin yet and so he can't handle it and she was left to try to figure out what that meant to her Mm -hmm. so it's not an easy time it is a very difficult time because a lot of the conversations although we can intellectualize and they really do get the intellectual, right? They understand the systematic oppression and racism. They get it. Like they get it. Their mother's highly intelligent, finishing her doctorate in education. Like, so we have these conversations, but the heart conversation, she just released, I think it was eight different poems on Instagram, all about her experience being a black girl. Mm. And even though she, by the time she became a senior, she the school their mascot is the ramblers she won the rambler of the year award which means she was the individual that represented the school the best by far and the school Mm. awarded it to her so even though she was that girl that chick it does nothing when it comes time for her to find out am i beautiful enough and are you not being my friend anymore because i'm black Mm-hmm. Are you not dating me any longer because I'm black? Mm-hmm. And have to process that. So I would love to say I cracked the code. Fact of the matter is I haven't. I haven't. And it's just a constant conversation. I mean, I always, like, remember I told you, I told my son, you're a leader. You're a leader. I told him that, right? So I've always told my daughters, you're beautiful. You're absolutely beautiful. Their whole life. And you're smart. And all these other things. It got to the point where they just said, dad, you're just saying that because you're my dad. She talked about it. She said, I'm a heterosexual girl. So even though we want to, this is me paraphrasing, dismiss, it shouldn't matter about my looks. It shouldn't matter about my skin. And the fact of the matter is I'm a heterosexual girl and it does matter. I don't have the answer, my friend. I'm working yeah. through it day by day. Yeah. So Confucius said self-mastery, family unit, country, world. Like yeah. He has that fractal reality, right? Uh, everything is connected. Yes. But 
his teachings start with self-mastery and then you expand upon that. Yeah. Why I mentioned all of that is yes, we may do all our own work, yes. our internal reflections, intellectualization of what should be, what right. the ideals are, but then we also live in a broader community and there's yeah, a broader culture and that has a huge influx impact mm -hmm. uh, subtly and not so subtly how we think and behave accordingly. So I'm curious to know with all the work that you do personally, how much of these powerful processes do you share with them as a way to help them quiet their internal chatter, their internal disbelief, their internal disempowering identities? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes a hundred sense. Do you share any of those work with them? And if so, how do you calibrate times to be a father, just listen to them versus mm -hmm. be the coach and actually be the therapist, actually helping them quiet their internal chatter? Yeah. So there's a lot, there's several things I'm working towards. One, I always try to ask better questions. I realize that traditionally as a male, traditionally, I am point blank, so to speak. I'm learning to be more exploratory in my questions in an, in an attempt to help evolve our conversations so that they're not just real simple. And I'm and through that process, what I've seen on occasion and what I'm hoping for more of is just more open dialogue so that instead of throw the book at it, read the book on this, right? Because that's how it was for me. It just, I remember one of my mentors, there was a conversation we were having. If there was a disconnect for me. He'd go, hey, read this. I'd read it and I go, oh, that's what you were talking about. So I elevated my my vocabulary. That doesn't work for them. So I'm learning to ask better questions in exchange. And then, like you said, just listen, just listen. And then the other thing that I'm doing and that I have done that I have to do more of as much, unquote, success as my son has experienced. People say, man, you're a great father. And I say, hold on, hold on. I love being a dad, but hold on. The truth is we had a village of people that helped cultivate who he has become. So I've been looking at and trying to expand the village for my daughters, right? Because if you have a similar experience, as we talked about earlier, it's easy to just simply follow that trail, right? So I'm trying to broaden their village so they get a broader perspective of who they are, while at the same time, in parliament, understand if someone doesn't, unquote, like you, it really isn't a matter of you, regardless of the reason. It's their own preferences. It's their own experiences. It's their own judgments. And it simply means that's not the person for you in whatever capacity the relationship is. Let's just find someone else. Because there are people who embrace, celebrate, and honor your existence and all of you. Mm. That's what I'm working toward as a parent. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to underline something that you said. Yes. You said you wanted to have a network of people to help co-parent your kids, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. The idea of, I, I love the ideas back in the days when we have tribes or villages, yes. it's not just a singular yes. parent entity that yes. to pass down the knowledge and the wisdom yes. to the children, rather they have a, a council, a tribe of elders. Yes. Yes. where everyone may specialize in some perspective and some special craft or skills, yes. then yes. the the village raise mm -hmm. the kids, not just yes. singular parents raise the yes. kids. So I love that idea. Yes. So I want to underline that. So as you are helping her build this council of elders, mm -hmm. what are some of the criteria that you use as a way to curate? the the sources of wisdom that they can uh, receive yeah so great question so one of the things that i try to look for is one what's their worldview like do they have a broader scope have do, do they, are they in interracial relationships are they an expert in their field because even if they're an expert in their field with a limited view the reasons in which we're going to them will offer us what we need robert kiyosaki's book rich dad poor dad is just a classic example of what that looks like, right? If you wanted to learn, when he wanted to learn about money, he went to his rich dad, his best friend's dad for that. When he wants to learn about education and family, he went to his dad. So I, without holding judgment 
all the way around the board, I encourage them and ask them about resources or I share, oh, hey, my daughter was thinking about going to India uh, to teach English. And so I have a friend over there who is from Colombia. And so we were building that partnership relationship and then COVID and other things happened. So that didn't happen. But I, I look at the people in my life who just love me and then I connect them with my kids whenever possible. The reality is I don't know all of their influence because I don't live in their world in a, in, a, in a context of who they see as important. And when I do, I obviously reel them in. But outside of that, I look to people who who just have a broad worldview, who are too, tend to be open minded and first and more, foremost, kind hearted. Because they're kind hearted, mm. then asking them to share or be a resource becomes a lot easier for me. Do you put limitations or some hard rules and policies around social media usage for your kids? Yeah, no. So and I asked that question specifically. Yeah, I asked that question specifically because social media is a fire hose, and you could have very extreme perspectives versus the very you know compassionate, broad worldview yes. type of thing. So when uh, not control, it's very easy to go towards more and more extreme yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So as a parent, as a steward, as a, as a guy, as a Sherpa, yes. how are you helping them with their social media usage? Yeah. So great question, right? So the 19 year old, she's going to do what she's going to do. 26 year old, he's going to do what he's going to do. The 14 year old, it's a different conversation. It's a lot of work, man. Honestly, we try to get her to, we, we at one point we were saying, okay, nine o'clock or eight o'clock cut off. You're in bed by nine or later than 10. And it's just, you know, your point is so valid. It is such a drug, such a drug. I'm actually reading about uh, Digital Deluge right now in the book Limitless around the idea of how it's draining us and how it's, it's sucking life out of us, even though it's a really great tool at the same time. It truly is. It, 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 has, been a, it has been a challenge. It has been a true challenge, especially now when that's the way that they can really communicate with one another. So... I, I grew up with a hard and fast religious view that says, these are all the don'ts. Can't do these things. No, 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 no. But what I realized was the no, 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 didn't allow me the opportunity to truly assess the options and choose for myself. So I've let go of the concept of the no, 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 no. And I'm trying to find ways. This sounds really sad, but it's really true because I'm wanting to develop individuals I'm trying to find ways to compete with social media. Really, that's really what it's coming down to. Sometimes at dinner, yeah, put the phone away. But outside of that, it's like, wait a minute. If I try to distract them or take away what's so culturally normal for them, then all I'm doing is really trying to control them. When in reality, I want to influence them to think for themselves. So I don't have as harsh lines as I used to. I just follow it to the nth degree. Knowing they could have a, a, a ghost account, I understand, but I'm not interested in trying to chase all that down. I look at their main accounts. What are they talking about? What are they sharing? And then I also participate with them. I send the funny type Instagram messages that they like. I don't have a TikTok, but if I come across one, I send it to them so that I show them that I'm a part of where they are and it can be used for good. Here's the deal, CK. At no point, has anyone on this planet ever stopped a kid from doing what a kid really wants to do, just like an adult? So my job is to try to influence and be a part of the culture as much as possible and show the life that's available through it. And I know, I know for a fact, part of what I'm struggling with to get this other information in is really dealing with social media and that psychology that happens there. But I'll just keep chugging away. I'll keep chugging away. I love that you are focusing on using more power and influence rather than force and, yep. and rules and guidelines. I love that. Then you have to do the internal marketing necessary yep. to yep. guide them the traction and, and magnifying rather than like a, like a smackdown of what not to right. do because the egoic mind is automatically allergic to any kind of force. Yep. Right. Because I remember when I was a teenager, if my parents tell me not to do this, yeah. guess what I'll do? I'll definitely exactly. do that. For sure. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's my youngest one, she's had her own mind, which I think is amazing. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to parent. though. <laughs> but it makes her that much more stronger as an individual as she matures 
and, and that's a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's a few direction I want to go. I'm yeah. also cognizant of time. Do you mind spending a, a couple more minutes go for on it. the call? Go okay, for beautiful. It. So for people who are non-black, right, uh -huh. in America, yeah. some of them may be feeling, man, I don't know if I should say anything or you have anything meaningful to say right now. Yeah. I don't want to be construed as someone who is virtual signaling. I'm yeah. jumping on the gun uh, yeah. on, on the wagon because it's yeah. the popular thing to do. Yeah. At the same time, I also want to, as you said earlier, engage yeah. in this conversation. So not only I can learn about it, but we can also come to a, a place of understanding with each other, yeah. right? So from a place of someone who is in the midst of all this, who is a black parent, yeah. who have lived this life with the history, however yeah. painful it may be yeah. for you individually, Marquise, what would you say to someone who want to help, want to understand, but is not sure what yeah. to do or yeah. what to say? Yeah, I would say, number one, I'm really big on this. No one's blaming you. Someone might be, but the truth is you're not being blamed we're just saying take responsibility right and in taking responsibility that means okay first of all the history books have never actually included anything about african americans other than things that are minor or negative get some education go find out what it means there's a book right now on amazon white fragility it's a great book whether you're white or not in America, there's black, there's white, right? It will begin to help you open up and look within and go and, and, and discover how you have had a head start, how you've been afforded opportunity that was not equally afforded to others. Just take the road of being vulnerable. I get it that it's not easy. Being vulnerable, unless you really, really, really feel safe, never is easy. But it's the fastest, most effective way if you're sincere, to open your heart and actually learn what there is to learn and understand. For example, I realized how much I didn't know because I'm a product of the exact same system you are. I'm just on the lower end of it. Ruby Bridges, the young lady who was the first African-American girl to integrate into a school. Man, the irony of what I'm getting ready to tell you, today's my mom's birthday. Ruby Bridges is 65 years old, bro. Which wow. means that wasn't that long ago. Wow. That wasn't that long ago at all. And I didn't know that. And in 1955 and in Belgium, these are the things, as you learn them, they begin to bring perspective and open you up. So then what works or how to respond. 1955 in Belgium. I don't remember what it was called, but in the newspaper, there was a zoo who featured an African-American girl in a cage as part of the zoo exhibit. What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, the fuck? It's, it's the reality of it. And so it takes the time to go learn about systematic racism. Watch movies like the documentary by Ava DuVernay called 13th. And you'll understand how the prison system actually works. You'll understand why black people are largely in the prison system. It's not because they did something. You'll discover your favorite presidents, the Clintons, the Bushes, whoever, that's both sides of the line, were active in making sure black boys and black girls receive tougher sentences for smaller issues by simple words as supervillains, calling them supervillains. So the dehumanization of black America is what has caused this problem. Your responsibility, if you really want to learn, you really want to make a difference, is start to educate yourself. It's easy. I understand. The system and life has it such that we're so busy that we don't have time. And if my life's not disrupted, then I'm sorry you're at a disadvantage, but I have these things that I need to take care of. That's been the problem all along. It's time out for that. We literally have to take the time and invest ourselves in the lives of our country and what has been happening. Here's the good news. The good news is the Underground Railroad had lots of white people, had lots of non-black people participating. So it's not even new, right? Like we understand that everyone has to help. But for those of you who've been out of it, 
the toughest thing has been, it's been out of our education. It's been out of our eyesight. It's been like me. I thought my brother was just a hothead and he caused the incident. So take the time, educate yourself, be willing to be vulnerable. And that's going to be scary. But there are lots of movies. Hey, I'm going to tell you like this. Yes, yeah, the end thing right now. It's the, it is the end. I end thing right now. Be a part of it. Learn it. Ride the wave to educate yourself. Because here's the reality. If you don't, then you're only contributing to the problem. Thank you for that. So that's a place to start, right? Yeah. Being curious, engage, yeah. and learn. And yeah. not necessarily put all the learning learning your burden on your black friends to say, okay. educate me, right? And do nothing yes. about it. So definitely take the steps necessary. That's what I'm hearing you say, yeah? Mm -hmm. Are there any kind of initiatives like, what's the project called? Campaign to Zero as an example, as a way to yeah. systematically address a solution yeah. of lethality as an example. Have you come across anything that you say to yourself as a man, as a father, as a, as a black man, as an entrepreneur, as an actor? all of these identities com combine and say, wow, that's a really good solution yeah. that takes into consideration of everyone that I would tell others to get behind on. Yeah. So that's a great question. And here's my general response. My true general response is, is there's plenty of opportunities local. Just look around. Here's why I say local. It's easy mm -hmm. to support something away from me. It's different to be involved where it's happening around me. And if we took more action around what happens around us, then we'll likely influence the change. The second thing is I do believe in defunding the police department, not because the police department's so, so, so bad. Chris Rock said it best. I saw the video today. He said, yeah, there's a few bad apples is how we like to term it. But no other job gets that luxury. Imagine if the airline said, well, we have a few bad apples. Some people fly into mountains. We're getting together. Just be patient with us. Right. So defunding the police doesn't mean taking away police power. It means attributing funds appropriately so that we don't even have the concerns. That's one idea with defunding the police. The second idea that I believe will be one of the most emphatic. Right. Because, again, that's why I say local, because this is a cultural. This is an internal thing we're dealing with. This is not just throw this law, throw this book at it. It's, a, it's an internal thing. Stand behind of initiatives that say if an officer has three complaints, he's automatically suspended or automatically put on administrative duty or automatically has to go back through training. Don't allow the unnecessary excuses to exist. Then I'll also say support your local police department, support those officers who are good. One of my one of my friends who happens to be one of the slight side influences in my daughter's life. Her and her husband are officers in the community in which they live. And she wrote an open letter on Facebook about how difficult it is, how much she's been shunned because she spoke out about bad policemen and how it is not the thing to do. We need to destroy that because what I recently learned CK that the police department was actually formulated to return slaves. That's how it came about. Interesting. So dehumanizing is a normal thing that happens in a department. We have the research out of UCLA that shows us what happens when you put two people in a room that are all friends. You make some officers, you make some regular people, and within 36 hours, they're mishandling one another vigorously. We don't need more research. We need to defund and restart and then put implications in place to say no longer and allow voices not to be protected, change the culture so that right is right and wrong is wrong. Yeah. There's so many things I could say about that, about that UCLA research too. One of the things I talk a lot about on this podcast is when it comes to, if you look at self-mastery, family yeah. unit, country, world, right? What Confucius taught us, the atomic unit is that sovereignty that you had talked about. Yes. If you come from a place of sovereign actions versus a reaction, mm -hmm. like an auto, uh, the, the automaticity of the yeah. animalistic instinct, that's a really, really good place for us to 
start thinking about and that's the atomic unit, right? So if you come from a place of sovereign action, not from a place of reaction, rather it's from a place of purpose and, and values yeah. and principles. Yeah. So I always bring back to that position. Yeah. Because otherwise it's so easy for the egoic mind to abuse our power. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. Right. The more power, yeah. fame, money yeah. mm -hmm. are all multipliers of who That's you correct. are. It's easy to misbehave, is, is yeah, all I'm trying to say. It is. That is correct. They really are. They really are. They really and are. And thank you so much for being thank so you, generous man. with thank us. You share your perspective. Again, I wanted to have a very authentic conversation, yeah. not from a place of authority, rather right. from a place of empathy. So right. thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah.